Genesis in chapter 20. Genesis chapter 20. You ever ask yourself how people change? I mean, there are some people in the Scripture. I mean, they just knock your socks off. How did David, who was just a kid really at the time, have the courage to stand in front of this giant whom every other soldier ran from. But here's this kid, none of the gear they had, none of the... Just, I got a sling and a stone and I got the, you know, God on my side. Where does he get such courage? Well, David testified, well, there was a lion and then there was a bear before we ever got to the giant. It seems, my friend, that growth comes in steps, not in giant leaps. I mean, do you think about it? As a forgetful teenager becomes some kind of great college professor, or a brand new mom, you know, somehow lead and guide their teenage kids, caring for them, loving them, you know, just trying to figure it out as they go along. How do they get there? Or a six-year-old boy whose teacher reported he doesn't do his homework and won't speak up in class, someday become a pastor of a family Bible church. Going through a lot of stuff in our house, too. Found some report cards from when I was in elementary school. I always distracted this kid. Never hands in his homework on time. Hmm. It's funny how people can grow. And isn't it great to know that? That wherever it is you are today, you can be more. And that it is the intention of God to continue to shape you and mold you through the circumstances of life, the reading of the Word of God, and the movement of the Spirit of God in your life to continue to conform you to the character of Christ. Friends, we were born again for change. Change is my story, and it's your story, and it is most certainly the story of Abraham, whose life we have been studying as we are studying the book of Genesis, and he's such an enormous part here. And so turn with me to Genesis 20, where we will witness yet another step of a transforming man who is, who is at this time motivated by fear, uses trickery over trust, and in just a few short chapters, this guy who seems to be bumbling through one event after another becomes a man who is able to exhibit what I think may be the greatest example of faith in all of Scripture. Just in a couple of chapters, my friends, we will see it and our jaws will drop and we will put ourselves in that circumstance and we will say, no way. But this guy, step by step, is growing in his faith. So take a look, and what we're going to see is exactly how his faith is growing. 
And we can mimic these steps. We can discover how it is that he is growing. And we can grow ourselves, my friends. Notice here in verse 1. Step 1 in growing your faith. Learn from past failures. There is not a one of us here that couldn't stand up and tell a story about their life which they would just turn red in shame. And people would say, how could you do that? And they say that about themselves. I don't know what I was thinking, but there I was. Friends, if you're going to grow, you've got to learn from your past failures. And this is an opportunity for Abraham to do just that. You see, here in verse 1 of chapter 20, we read, From there Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. And he sojourned in Gerar. Well, my friends, that word sojourned, which shows up so much in the Bible, but not so much in our vocabulary, (laughs) just really means temporarily live there. He's a guy that moves from one area, lives there for a while, moves to another area, moves, and then, you know, just from one spot to the next. And here he is in Gerar. Now, because you are excellent students of the Bible, you know, wait a minute. Isn't that in the land of the Philistines? As a matter of fact, it is. This dude's in enemy territory. Remember that giant? Wasn't he a Philistine? Yeah, he sure was. And so Abraham, providing himself many of his (laughs) failures to learn from, we might say. And so here he is in enemy territory in verse 1. But notice verse 2. And this is just sad to watch. And we are grateful that nobody's writing a story to be printed for all the believers everywhere to read. But Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she's my sister. I don't know, and Abraham would argue, well, technically, I mean, she's my mother's daughter, but not my father's daughter. I mean, you know, it's not that weird. (laughs) And his whole intent here is to deceive. Deception is not an honorable trait, my friends. So Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And here is this king, Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. Wait a minute, didn't we already read this? Yeah, chapter 12, it happened with Pharaoh. I mean, at this point, you know, Sarah's like 90 years old, but apparently she's very attractive. And all these guys, they see her, they want her. Abraham, terrified for his own life, gets together with Sarah and says, hey, let's just tell them we're, uh, we're, we're, we're a family. How about that? <laughs> and lo and behold, Abraham deceives, partners with his wife Sarah to practice deception. And here is Abimelech. I love the name Abimelech. You know, it's, it's a great name. Who would ever name their kid Abimelech? Someone with a lot of pride, I'll tell you what. You know what Abimelech means? It means my father is king. <laughs> I, I actually thought about naming Alex Abimelech. <laughs> and think of all the fun telling people what his name means. <laughs> oh, 
heavens, it won't be the last time we read about Abimelech. We'll talk about that later here, friends. But So here is Abimelech, the, the king of Gerar, sent, and he took Sarah. And so Abraham has already seen the disaster of his deception. In Genesis chapter 12, my friends, in the very same chapter where the Lord appears to him and promises to him that I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will make of you a great nation. And anyone that blesses you, I'm going to bless. And if they curse you, I'm going to curse them. And through this family, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And so in this great deception, my friends, he placed his wife in great jeopardy. He put his descendants in great jeopardy. For they are to come from Abraham and Sarah, not some other woman. I think we learned that in previous chapters. And so he not only put his wife in jeopardy in the arms of another man, he put his descendants in great jeopardy. And ultimately, as we saw in the covenant, the blessing that would come through this family to the whole world is now in jeopardy. The whole seed through the woman, this whole godly line that would lead to Jesus, your very lives in eternities in jeopardy. Because this guy is playing fast and loose with the truth. And you know what's really sad? In a few chapters we're going to read about his son. And we're going to see that he tells the very same lie. What a tangled web we weave when we practice to deceive. Friends, be people of truth regardless of where truth will tell, take you, speak the truth. It's a sad, 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 sad thing. But friends, if you're going to grow, you've got to learn from your failures. Not try to bury them, not try to cover them. Learn every, just drip, every ounce of learning you can out of those things and make sure you don't go back. Well, look at here, verse 3, where we come to step 2 in how to grow our faith. Learn from your failures. And here in verse 3, remember God's faithfulness. I mean, what did God learn in chapter 12? And now he lied about his wife and conspired with her because they were afraid. And Pharaoh took Sarah. And then what? Abraham amassed a giant. No, he didn't. He could do nothing. But we know that God put a plague on Pharaoh in his house. And oh, by the way, the same thing happens here. Two of my favorite words in the Bible here in verse 3, but God. Everything is falling apart. There is no hope. What a what shall we do? And we're wringing our hands and putting a hole in the carpet, pacing back and forth. All is lost, but God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, 
Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Remember God's faithfulness to care for you, my friends. Your safety, your life is in his hands. So God warned Abimelech, just like he did Pharaoh. God kept Sarah safe, just like he did with Pharaoh. Now Abimelech had not approached her. So he said, Lord, will you kill innocent people? Wait a minute, didn't we just discuss that in the previous chapter when Abraham is praying, would you destroy the whole city if there were 50 people? What about 40? What about 30? There it is. Did he himself not say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. And look at this. Here is this wicked man, this sinner before God. Look at what he says. And in the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. I am not the one who has done wrong in this circumstance. And what a shame when the people of God have less integrity than the people of the world. My friends, this ought not ever to be. And so God warned Abimelech. He keeps Sarah safe. He kept Abimelech from sinning. Look at this. Look at what the Lord says to him in response. Then God said, verse 6, God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Imagine that. The work of God restraining sin. The work of the Spirit of God in the world today should be the work of the church in the world today. Restraining sin. Therefore, the Lord says, I did not let you touch her. And so there is God providentially at work in Abraham and Sarah's life, just as he is at work in your life. And here in verse 7, God commanded that he return Sarah to Abraham, just like he did with Pharaoh. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you and you shall live but if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. And that brings us, my friends, to the third step in growing in faith. If the first, my friends, is to learn from past failures, if the second is to remember God's faithfulness, then I discover that the third here, my friends, is to accept the sting of rebuke. Don't shrink back. Listen to it. This is how we grow. We learn what is right and what is wrong, what honors God and what dishonors Him. 
accept the sting of rebuke. So Abraham, first and foremost here, is rebuked by an unbeliever, and these things ought never to be the case. Live well, my friends. So Abimelech, verse 8, rose early in the morning and called all of his servants and told them all of these things, and the men were very, very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And your little lie, little deception, looking out only for yourself. What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. What have I done to you that you would do this to me? What a shame. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did this thing? And here, my friends, we see three reasons. Why Abraham thought, well, sure, God is a God of truth, but I'm going to lie in this one. Well, first and foremost, he's a sinner. We ought not to be surprised when the people of God sin. We ought to be saddened by it. There's no doubt about that. But we know that people are sinners because they have a sin nature. A dog does what a dog does because it's a dog. A cat does what a cat does because it's a cat. Sinners do what sinners do because they're sinners. First and foremost, he did practice deception because he's a sinner. Secondly, because he operated in the realm of fear rather than faith. He had learned this very lesson, not just a, but a handful of chapters previously, my friends. He had gone through this already. He should have known. God had already shown him his protection. But he had fear rather than faith. Look at verse 11. Abraham said, I did it because I thought, well, there's no fear of God at all in this place. And they'll kill me because of my wife. So here he is, not thinking about God and what God would do and what God had already said. I will bless you. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. He had already seen God at work in his life. But he operated in the realm of fear rather than faith. And finally, you know why he lied? It's the reason everyone does. Because he thought he'd get away with it. Look at verse 12. Besides, I mean, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you must do to me. At every place to which we come, save me, he's my brother. 
And that was the plan, to live a life of deception. Hmm. You know, where's the testimony here? What do these wicked unbelievers now know about God? Well, they don't know about his righteousness and other than his judgment. God punishes sin. Is there any love? Is there any no testimony from Abraham in that regard? None whatsoever. Wasted opportunity. And so Abraham here is rebuked by an unbeliever. And sadness upon all sadnesses. An unbeliever showed, showed more faith in the Lord than Abraham. Take a look here in verse 14. Well, then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and a male servant and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah to his wife to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. God said, give her back, and he did. And oh, so much more. And you know what else? Abimelech even shows concern for Sarah. None of this, take them and get out of here. Look at this. To Sarah, he said, behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver, And it is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you. And before everyone you are vindicated. Concerned about her reputation. Imagine that. And here in verse 17, he is restored by God. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech. And he also healed his wife and female slaves so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Wow. That's the second time Abraham's prayer has saved lives within just a couple of chapters. It is a shame, my friends, for the people of God not to exhibit faith, but to run in fear. Fear ought not to be something that people see in our lives, my friends. The fear of God is all that they ought to see in our lives, and the fear of God is a holy reverence. It was a newlywed couple. They had just been married. And there was uh, this, this young woman at home trying to make everything perfect. This idea in her head of what a wife should be doing and cleaning and cooking this perfect meal. And her friend called and said, So how's the new married life? Well, it's very good, but I'm, I'm terrified that this won't turn out. You know, oh my goodness, it's in the oven and I hope it works. Well, what is she terrified of? Well, her husband's going to go home. What have you done? This is undercooked. You must be beaten. No, it has nothing to do with that. 
that the desire is to love and to please and the fear of not living in a way that honors. And friends, that is the way that we ought to live in such a way that if the Lord would appear instantly, He would be honored by our activity, by the thoughts that consume us, by the actions that define us. Let's put it in a sentence. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and stop trusting your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and stop trusting in yourself. Your own scheming, your own ideas. Oh, maybe if we did this, we could get away with it. That's... My version of Proverbs 3.5. Proverbs 3.5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Our faith ought not to be in our experiences, in our own ability to think on our feet, but in God. Before you walk out of here today, we have a half sheet of paper with that verse on it. It's in big bubbly letters. So if you're one who likes to color, you can color in all the letters while you're memorizing this verse. Now some of you already know it. Perhaps you grew up in church and somewhere in third or fourth grade your teachers had you memorize this stuff. Well, good. But here's the purpose of memorizing it. Start living it. Ask yourself, is this of faith? Where am I trusting God in this circumstance? (coughs) For what am I trusting God? And know this, my friend. Faith grows when we exercise it. Faith grows when we exercise it. Say trust in the Lord. And the little things and in the big things. Because one day if we don't trust God in the little things, they'll turn into the big things. So put your trust in God. Live by faith. Trust in the Lord. And don't waste your failures. There isn't a one of us in this room who hasn't really blown it. Don't waste your failures. Valuable lessons should be learned from these things. Warning signs to us, don't go this way ever again. And finally, read your Bible so that the Spirit of God may use it in our heart and our mind to lead us and to guide us in the places that He would have us to go to grow our faith, to demonstrate to others that God is faithful, that God is powerful, that God cares for His children.